0: Good morning. I want to add my welcome to Ryan's welcome and Brennan's welcome, the band, Reese, and to anyone who welcomed you this morning as you came in, our welcome team, but really our whole church is one big welcome team. It's great to be back and gather worship again. If you want to hear God speak, open a Bible. So please open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We were just there in 1 Corinthians it's uh, both penned by Paul, but authored by God. If you just turn your Bibles to the right, you'll find First Thessalonians. Please use the contents page, but if you're using those black church Bibles, you'll find it on page 986. Page 986, 1 Thessalonians. We're in a series in Thessalonians. We'll be in this series over Term 3, and we're up to chapter 2, verse 17. We'll read from in a moment. But because this is God's word and he breathed it onto the page for us, let's ask his Holy Spirit for help now. Let's pray. Our gracious God, you speak to us from the scriptures and we're listening now as we open the Bible to read your spirit-breathed word. So help us, we pray. Hear our prayer that we would be so shaped by the good news of Jesus, by the gospel of Christ. This is what we're asking for this moment, but that this moment would reverberate through our lives as we reflect upon your word, meditate upon it, memorise it as your word so shapes us into the image of your son. In his name we pray, amen. You'll see on the service sheet, on the service booklet, there's page five, there's an outline and um, there's a question about what we learn in lockdown. What have you learnt in lockdown? Perhaps you've had more time on your hands and that has meant you've been able to take up hobbies. I thought that would be me but it just wasn't, it was the opposite problem for me in lockdown. There seemed to be less time on my hands. But we learned a few things, didn't we? Perhaps you did take up a hobby, you learnt knitting. I would have liked to have, but I just didn't get there. I've lost some jumpers in collateral damage of lately, and it'd be nice to knit some new ones. But, but for us, for you, maybe you learnt in lockdown that, you know, that uh, when you're on Zoom and you see... Oh, the, the mute button was on, sorry. Uh, perhaps you learnt that in lockdown you could go into the bank with a mask on now. I actually don't know if that's the rule, I was talking with someone at, uh, before the service and, asked, and we had this conversation and uh, I don't know if we can be a bandit these days, if that's allowed, perhaps you could just, if you, if you can't go into a bank with a mask on, perhaps you could just, you know, stand at the railway line, wait for a train and uh, in the old days, that's what we did, train robbery was a bit of a thing. Uh, next week there's a steam train, look, I'll I'd I'd try and find Mikey, there he is, it's a steam train convention, I don't know what steam trains do but it's on next weekend, perhaps we can all wear masks and jump on the train and just pretend we're train robbers. What did you learn in lockdown? Perhaps you learnt concerts are a thing of antiquity, back in the old days when they had um, amphitheaters and auditoriums and you could go to concerts. Uh, Maybe you were a parent and uh, you learnt that, you know, kids, um, remote learning, that's challenging, that's challenging for us. Maybe it is we just appreciate that when we can get to church, we get to church. Because you never know when the next lockdown will come. We've learned a lot in lockdown. And for a church, I think that we have learned, as I talk with people, as I talk with you, church family, as I talk with our friends, we have learned, we've learned Christ, what it means to be patient, all the fruit of the Spirit, kind and loving, We've learnt what it means to hear God through the Scriptures is a staple for us and that we need that, we absolutely need that as a church. I reckon if you forego that, you'll just notice in yourself, the grumpiness grows, the bitterness grows, the suspicion, the distance, the, all the things grow, uh, grow in us when actually we could replace that with growing more like Jesus, which is the opposite of all those things. The staple for reforming churches is to be in books of the Bible. We are in a letter, if you're new with us this morning, we're in a letter in First Thessalonians. It was written, penned by Paul, but it's authored by God. It's written to a church at Thessalonica, but it's also written for us. And here we see that God is setting the agenda for us. So when we come to First Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 17 to 20, uh, Amy, my wife, said, "'This is the shortest passage I've heard you preach on in ages.'" We like big chunks of Scripture here, we like to go deep into the Bible, and yes, it's only a few verses, but today, this is a timely text, friends. This is such a timely text for life in between and in lockdown, particularly for a church. You'll see why in a moment. But today, we're going to look deeply into the design of relationships in the community that is meant to be the church, God's design. Secondly, we're going to look over the horizon and see not just what the community of the church is meant by God's design for today, but what the reward for us of those relationships is over the horizon in the future. And thirdly, we're then going to plan and pray as a church that this would be a church culture, this would be the shape of us, that we would get ready, grow ready for Christ's return. This is the theme of this letter. At every turn in this book, you'll see Christ's return is mentioned. Every turn, every paragraph, every section. It's all about being ready for Christ's return, which the question is, are we? Are you ready for Christ's return? Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we take it up at verse 17. And you'll see why this is so timely. But since we were torn away from you, brothers and sisters, for a short time, in person, not in heart. We endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory. And joy. Throughout this letter, it's impressed upon us how much the Thessalonians meant to Paul. How much this little church that he had planted, that he had started, how much they were so dear to him and to Silas and to Timothy. And here we see the first of only two points this morning. The first point is, Paul longed to see them face to face. That the church has this longing to see one another face to face. And I know I say that in front of a camera and a live stream, but there's something better, isn't there, about being together face to face. For the context of what's going on and why Paul has this longing, you go back to Acts 17. So I'm just going to go back to Acts 17. You can go there if you wish, but I'm going to read it because it's important context for what happened at Thessalonica. But in Acts 17, we read this. Verse 1 Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on the Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men and the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority shouting, these men have turned the world upside down, have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And when the people and the authorities of the city were disturbed when they heard these things, they'd taken money and security from Jason and the rest and let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, where they arrived and went to the Jewish synagogue. Do you see what's happened? Paul and Silas arrive, but they're only there three weekends preaching at the gathering, and then they've got to go. Paul says the words in First Thessalonians are, they're torn away. And Paul had wanted to go back to the church at Thessalonica again and again. And he says he's become frustrated and hindered by Satan himself. Now, we're not exactly sure the mechanism of what Satan is doing to hinder from this text... So we're going to be careful at speculating exactly what is Satan doing. Uh, Early this year, we're in the book of Job recently, and we saw a lot of Satan's um, mechanisms. We saw a lot of his activity of how he does things. And then before that, early this year, we're in 1 Peter, where Peter talks a lot about Satan and Satan's activity. There are times when Paul writes to the churches, he's really planted and loved him, he says, look, Satan is an adversary, he's done these things. And there are many times that Paul writes and says, we were hindered, we couldn't go, we couldn't do this, but he doesn't say it was Satan. The point is here, Paul is saying, particularly when it comes to him not being with them, face to face, he's saying, it's not my fault. And I've tried... It could be people don't get back to be face to face with their church because they're just not trying. It's just easier not to. It could be they're just, I'll do it next week. I'll get there next week, Paul says Thessalonians. I'm 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 coming, I'm coming, I will get there, promise. But it's not he's saying, I actually want to get there. I'm trying to get there, I've been hindered getting there. Because Paul knows face-to-face is better. He's not making excuses, he's saying it's outside his influence. And while the devil is in the details, we just don't know the details of this situation particularly. We can say though this, if anyone has a direct interest in keeping the church apart... If anyone would love to frustrate relationships and distance people so that they grow distant from one another, who wants to do that? Does Christ want that? When Christians say, I'm a Christian, but I don't need a church, or I'm, in, I'm kind of doing my own thing, is that what Christ wants? Who wants us to be distant from one another? Who wants us to be frustrated with one another? Who wants us to to grow suspicious of one another and grumble against one another? Who wants us to slander and gossip? Who does that by design? That is Satan's business. It's what the devil desires. We know that Paul couldn't get to them personally, so personally, he does what he can, he sends Timothy. We see this next week in chapter 3 in the context of how we get comfort in suffering from one another. Comfort from one another. Paul couldn't get to them, but he prays for them. And as he prayed for them, he expressed that longing of the church that is torn apart. We know this longing, don't we? We've been torn apart. Lockdown, not lockdown. Lockdown, not lockdown. I wrote a little article for our website. You can go and look it up later. I think that we've been getting ministry whiplash. We're sort of, <laughs> you never know what we're up to. But the longing of the church is actually against the longing of Satan. Satan's desire is to divide. What is the church's desire? It's the desire of Christ. It's that desire we see each week. We see each other for small groups here. We see each other for men's breakfast yesterday, women's brunch. We see each other. And what do we say? I heard it yesterday. What do we say? I see you on Sunday. I see you face to face. There is an inbuilt longing in humans to be together. Ever since back in the Garden of Eden, it's wired deeply within us, the community. There's a movie in ancient time, it's called Crocodile Dundee. If you're, I don't know, 20 years old, you may have never heard of it. Someone very famous, we all looked up to, Paul Hogan. And in Crocodile Dundee... He goes to New York having lived most of his life in the northern territory ends up in New York and there's a famous scene just it's burned into my brain because he's there in New York city of like millions and millions of people he climbs a traffic light and he says all these people living together they must really like each other something like that forgive the uh, accent you see, it's, it's wired in us that we would want to be gathered together. We build cities and towns and we, we trade and we, we relate and we do things together. But you may have noticed that's not exactly always how it is. Why? Because of this thing called the fall. You see, at the fall, what was built by God is now bent out of shape by sin. What is built by God is now bent out of shape. It's dinged up because we crashed the car of creation. We dinged it up. We said, thanks God, borrow the keys. We ran it for a while. We're going to drive our own way. And then we hit something and said, well, can't fix that. And that's been our problem ever since. And so when it comes to gathering, we still desire to be together. But it's not always desired... And it's not always that great let's be honest but jesus comes to change everything see jesus comes and he comes to save and gather people jesus doesn't just come to save us to put us in little individual pods and so we're you know we're not going kind to of plugged in like the matrix i'm trying to grab the 30 year olds in the room but um he comes in to save and gather us to gather us to be not just a one person but his people that we sung this morning And the picture of the future that we get to see is in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation we use for our call to worship this morning. We all said it together. It's the last prayer of the Bible. The last words of the New Testament are a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's the last word said. is His people saying, please return. And the picture of the future that we get in that book, which is called apocalyptic literature, which by the way is not, apocalyptic is not, a a zombie apocalypse Uh, doesn't doesn't mean a zombie it doesn't mean a pandemic it doesn't mean a a world war the word apocalyptic means revealing the book of revelation reveals a picture of the future that is real and it's going to be in human history that one day we're all going to be there around a throne and no one's going to say who belong to God no one's going to say you know what I'd rather do my own thing over here Because because the thing is there and His name is Christ and we are with Him. He's the thing and His people are the thing. Which means for now, church is a taste of heaven on earth. And all the people said, really? Like, Like, these chairs are pretty great. We made sure when we bought these chairs, we... We've invested heavily in these chairs. We can't buy carpet because we're not going to be sitting on the, on the floor a lot. We do need some carpet, but let's get good chairs. Is heaven just going to be these blue chairs? It's, it's better than that. Heaven is, there's no tears. We saw this in Revelation. No tears, no sin, no pain, no crying, no angst, no bitterness, no grumbling, no gossip, no slander, no broken relationships. Heaven is what we were designed for. It's where we're meant to be. And so, if I could say it like this, to church is to human. To human is to church. We were meant for that. We were designed for it from the beginning. And in a world of trouble, trials and suffering, friends, we need one another to gather around us. I've seen in this church... People go through pain or hardship and the meals ministry team just kicks into gear at a moment's notice, like the 101st Airborne, and they come swooping in, here's food. I've seen people suffering and people calling them up and going around to their home and praying for them. The church needs this, we need one another. And that's the context of the church at Thessalonica. They've seen Paul's suffering and Silas. When Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, they, they came from Philippi. What happened at Philippi? They're imprisoned and beaten, until the Philippian jailer himself, the very one who'd been perhaps beating them, gets converted, miracle of God, and then goes, I repent and believe in Jesus and he ends up washing their wounds. So they arrive in Thessalonica, freshly beaten up with these wounds, And the Thessalonians have seen this. So when they say, yeah, I'm a Christian too, they're going, I'm signing up for this. I could perhaps suffer like this too. And as they suffer, because they're also suffering, not potentially from being beaten, but they're suffering because they saw Paul and Silas run out of town. And then they're now suffering the social pressure of family and friends who are suspicious of their new phase of being Christians. Oh, they're a bit bit of a Christian? Do you ever feel that shame in your family or... Wider friendship circles, you're known as a bit of a Christian? Why were Paul and Silas running out of town? Why do we suffer the social pressure and stigma of being Christians? Because people are against the good news of Jesus. People can't, they won't receive Jesus as their rescuer. And so they run away from God himself. They put pressure on others to put God out of their life too. And so we Christians, we absolutely need one another. The church is here for one another. Friendships are forged in times like this. And it's times like this, even with lockdowns, friendships should not be forgotten or forgone. It's such friendship that we need in Christ's new family. And it's those people whom we boast in before the Lord Jesus at His coming. Second point. Look at verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians. Do you not think this is a strange thing to say in the context of the whole gospel and the glorious God that we've been saved by? Verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? What are you expecting to say? Christ. Before our Lord Jesus at His coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. When Paul penned these words, he talks about the coming of Christ. You'll see it there in the banner. We're ready for Christ's return. The word he uses for coming, there's different words, by the way. So in, in Revelation, it was a different word originally used for coming. The word he uses here is parousia. Scholars you can read later will tell you parousia was used in the ancient Near East in that time to speak of the arrival, the visitation of someone like the emperor. The emperor's coming, he's breaking into our city with his triumph, Perusia. Now, at the time, imagine you're in Thessalonica and the emperor is coming, Perusia. Some of you might be looking forward to this with anticipation, but there might be some of us looking forward to it with anxiousness. The emperor's coming to town, well, I've heard about that guy. I mean, he's on the coin, but I've heard about him. Because emperors were distant and their rule was by dictatorship. And here's what I think is wonderful about the way Paul uses words. He picks up a word that's about the emperor and he says, let me tell you, Perusia, about Jesus Christ. Paul says, the real ruler of the universe is coming. And this ruler has been before... The emperor established cities and towns and named them after his family. This ruler, he plants churches by his good news. And this ruler, he's not a dictator over his subjects. He dies for his subjects. This ruler gets his life and gives it up for his subjects. He lays down low and takes the judgment deserving of a sinner for his subjects. We've named this discipleship series Ready for Christ's Return. We've seen it every turn in this book. This is what it's about. Are we ready for Christ's return? It's all about being ready for the better life to come that is forever. What else is there to live for, friends? Can I ask you, what else is there to live for in this life, but a better life to come that lasts forever? What else could you live for in this life to compete with that? We try, don't we? But what else could you live for, but the better life to come? We sang the chorus of the saved, for Christ is on our side. We don't earn a place in heaven. You can't earn the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We don't work for it, we don't deserve rescue from wrath to come, because I deserve wrath to come. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, and this is a gift. So why then does Paul, knowing that everything we ever could hope for is Christ himself, everything we've ever preached from this pulpit is Christ himself. Why does Paul all of a sudden take a left turn in verses 9 and 20 and say, you know what my glory, my crown, my joy, my hope is? It's you guys. Why does he do that? It's got to make you think, doesn't it? The church of Thessalonica is people. Paul says he worked hard as a pastor praying, preaching, caring, disciple-making. We know that the Spirit of Christ worked through Paul, but that's what he's working for. And he says, I'm working for you, serving you. We know for Paul, his ultimate hope is Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 uh, one thirty-one. he says, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, he boasts in the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 16, as Reese read earlier, was our, was our Old Testament reading, where we see several points. Verse Psalm 16, verse 2. I have no good apart from you, the psalmist says, apart from God. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and cup. Verse 10, you won't abandon my soul to Sheol. My hope of anything in life and death is God himself. Verse 11, at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want to find real pleasure, go to God. So why does Paul, who knows all that, believes all that, who says his ultimate joy is in Christ, his crown is Christ, his glory is Christ, why does he say you are my crown, my joy, my glory? He says it also in Philippians four one about the Philippian church. He says they're therefore my brothers and sisters whom I long and love for my joy and crown. Why does he call people his joy and crown when Christ is his joy and crown? Think about this. What could Paul, we're going to start thinking about Paul and then we'll think about us. What could Paul possibly want more than Christ? Or what could he want, if he gets Christ by grace, what else could he possibly want? If he was given extra stuff, extra things, extra rewards, what else could that reward be? If he's got Christ already, what else could you possibly want aside from Christ? is Paul working towards a statue of him being built in Vatican City. Is that what he wants? You know, I'm looking forward to one day, they're going to have this kind of Vatican City, there's all these statues of apostles, I'm looking for a good statue of me, angular jaw, because everyone says I'm ugly. That's not true. Is that what he wants? Does Paul wish that one day they would name a church after him? I'm just looking forward to when they say St. Paul's, St. John's, St. Andrew's, St. Stevens gets one, why doesn't, is that what he wants? Perhaps Paul wants a whole stream of theology named after him. Pauline theology! Now I've made it, I am successful. Is that what Paul wants? What do you want? Reforming? What do you and I work for? Would you like a stone tablet embedded in our building that said, to the glory of God, and then all our names on it. So that people, at the end of the 21st century, could say, you know, back at the start of this century, that's who started this church. Is that what we want? Is that what we're working towards? A stone tablet that someone's got to brush up and keep maintained with thousands of dollars one day? Perhaps you'd like to be used by God, which can sometimes be code for being famous before others. Or perhaps you'd secretly just settle for your name on the website or on the back of the service sheet or, you know, just talked about for a while. The problem with those rewards is they are turning to dust. What could we possibly work for, strive for, pray for that has lasting worth? What could mean so much now that means so much forever? What could it possibly be? The answer's in verse 17... It's right there at the end of verse 17. Face to face. That's the reward. You are my answer and I am your answer. I've heard people argue, I've read theological papers, that reward reward's theology, reward is, 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 a, is a larger mansion, it's closer to the throne, and I say, you won't find that in the Scriptures at all. Why would I why would I serve people all my life? Why would you serve and look at one another in church all your life to hope that if I do this I get a bigger house? Or I get a farm or I get a something. It's about as much motivation as will last beyond Monday. The reward is not stuff and it's not gold and it's not Many, many big things you get. Look at what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 3, we saw it as well. Look at what the reward is. It's you. It's you. It's one another. I don't care a lick for a bigger house in heaven. I care to see you in heaven. That's what I, if, if I get Christ, and that is a wonderful gift, by grace that I could never get myself, I can't earn it, can't pay it back, can't do anything for it, it's an amazing thing that causes me to sing and, and say of my salvation and tell others, let me tell you about Jesus. But if I get Jesus, and then by His grace and wonderful provision, I get one little extra, like a little extra reward as well, what would I possibly want? I'd want to see you there, and wouldn't you want to see me? Wouldn't that be your reward? What is reforming's reward? Reforming's reward is not some sort of payment owed us by God. We don't do good works for personal reward. We've seen, in fact, it's nothing that flows out from our works, but from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Our reward is one another, together here and together there. That's our reward. Such a reward flows from God's grace, His generosity, that even allows us to serve in His gospel of saving the humans, that we can be involved in that mighty work to then see one another there forever. Which means, with all the stewardship He's given you and I, we all have a part to play. So I think at this point we start to think, oh, this is just about pastors. It's actually not, it's actually about the church. We are all disciple makers, it's Jesus' mission for us. If you're wondering what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, Jesus tells us very clearly. He often has to do this with His disciples, isn't it? His disciples, if you look through Mark's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, John's Gospel, Jesus' disciples are often getting it like three steps later. Why? Because they're just like us. They're just like me. And for ages, Jesus' disciples are really not sure. I mean, he's, He's gone to the cross, He's died, He's risen, He's returned, like He's there, amazing, 40 days he's with them and they're just like, wow, it's so amazing. 500 people saw him in one day, this is incredible. No one has done this before, it's just absolutely thrilling, amazing. But then at the end they're kind of in a room, sitting there quietly praying, they're not really sure what they're supposed to be doing. So Jesus has to go, look at me. Just look. Everyone, just look at me, look at me, look at me. Now, go and make disciples of the nations. Teaching them baptizing them make disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples that's the mission and ever since then the church has been confused with that well what are we supposed to be doing let's 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 do some conferences and re-evaluation get some scholarship we're we're trying to work out what we're supposed to be doing jesus told us it's right there it's very clear which means the whole church is involved in this which means one another face to face being here and there is our reward, it's our reward, it's your reward. This is what we live for, it's, it's, it's who we love, it's our great desire to get together. We're all different. But even as we're all different, we all deserve judgment, I deserve judgment. But God has done something so gracious, He gives us rescue in Christ and He gives us each other as our reward. This text in First Thessalonians talks to us today. It talks to us today because it's speaking from the Scriptures, God is speaking to us, to you and me, in a time and place where we could be so tempted after lockdown after lockdown, in a time and place we could be so tempted to be torn away from each other, as Paul says, but not just in person but also in heart. I think a lot of us have lockdown lag. We're just, we're worn out from it. I get it. Me too. I'm not a major influence of that, but I am responsible for how I respond. And I need to go to Christ about that. See, we're in a time and place where we could be tempted to be torn away from each other in heart, so that we're tempted to not endeavour to meet together. We could be tempted to have a well, actually no great desire to see one another face to face. We could be tempted to look at one another not with love but with distance and distance sometimes doesn't make the heart grow fonder, it makes the heart grow distant. Perhaps we've been hurt by someone, treated unfairly, the answer is now obvious, What does Satan want in those moments? What does Satan want for your life? He wants you to be distant from people, disgruntled with people, grumbling against people, perhaps even take it to the next level, level up and gossiping about people. Satan wants that. Satan seeks for you to be separated from your brothers and sisters in Christ, in heart especially. Satan seeks for slander to drive churches apart, The roaring lion that Peter describes is seeking someone to devour. He's licking his lips when he sees crouching anger grow to grumbling and to a hindering of coming together. Satan just looks at that and goes, You betcha. Let's fan that fire into flame. Today, we needed this text. In these times, this is timely. And today, can we just see how powerfully Jesus changes everything? Parousia. The presence of God breaking into human history at Christ's return for the age to come. Parousia. Throughout 1 Thessalonians, we're hearing a benediction in this whole series. So every service, as we're in 1 Thessalonians, Ryan's going to say it at the end, we're going to hear the same benediction. It comes from the end of the book of Thessalonians. It comes from the end of this letter. And every time we hear it, every time we hear this blessing, that's what benediction means, it means blessing, this word of blessing to God's people. Every time we hear it, this is what we hear. Now may the God of peace himself, not the God of ruckus, not the God of disruption, not the God of conflict, not the God of separation, not the God of distance, not the God of grumbling, not the God of gossip, not the God of slander, the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming, at the parousia of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are here or tuning in online and you are exploring Christ, you're looking into the things of Christ, of Christianity, this is a timely talk from this text for you right now. Because we are looking forward when Christ breaks into our human history, And if you want to sit down and talk, I would love to shout you a coffee. I'll shout you multiple coffees. I don't care what your your favorite beverage is. I I I would love to sit down with you and talk about how you can know Christ, that in the fallenness of this world, in all your failings and fallenness of shame and blame, that you could hear on that day Christ turn to you and say blameless, blameless. This is why we have a great desire to talk with you about Jesus. I'd love to shout you a coffee. Let me know, go to the website, let me know, you can find contact details there. I'm there, time and place, I'm there. Coffee's on me. Because here's something extraordinary. You see, as we read the Bible together... You read the Bible with me, and and perhaps you put your trust in Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus. You have faith in Jesus, you want to follow Jesus. You're growing in your readiness for Christ's return. As that happens, you know what? Something happens as well. You encourage me. You actually end up discipling me too. It's a mutual thing so that I become your glory, your joy, your crown, perhaps your first one, the one of many. Isn't that amazing? We become each other's reward. I think the best cake in the world is fruitcake. You're all thinking, where is it going with this? I love fruitcake. Why? Because you don't need to add anything to fruitcake to enjoy it. It's the best. But some people I've seen add icing to fruitcake and that does make it even better, doesn't it? That's what we're seeing here, Friends. If Christ is like fruitcake, you don't need anything in Christ, but you also get some icing, others in Christ? Well, that's just the best. So for us, Reforming Church, we belong to Christ. Hope has happened to us. It's changed us. It's, It's changed our future. It's changed our now. It's why we're so happy to be gathered together which I think means three brief things for us to now plan and pray about as a church. Firstly, your reward is our reward. And therefore, it doesn't matter how you serve in our church. We all get to enjoy and share in the same reward. This is not just a minister's thing and a congregation thing. We're all making disciples in all the body of Christ gifts that we use, all of us. And our reward is, look around, it's one another. Secondly, our ministry means we don't need to get reward here necessarily. Jesus, particularly Himself, is, is at pains to say, don't, don't do things in such a way, don't serve in such a way, so that others go, "Wow, well done you! Jesus says, you want accolades? You've already received your reward now. So can I encourage you, look for the ministries where it's not seen. Look for the ministries where, you know, I'm going to serve people to make little disciples of Jesus and no one's going to notice particularly in this life that Jesus does and those little disciples will one day grow to be big disciples who one day remember their kids' church leader or their creche supervisor who actually taught them about Jesus and that is a reward that is out of this world, friends. It's people like Mrs. Cornford. You don't know who Mrs. Cornford is. She taught me Jesus when I was six years old in kids' church. One day, Mrs. Cornford and I, we're standing in front of a throne. It'd be kind of like the biggest concert in the world, really, those things of antiquity. And this is the third thing. I want you just now to imagine something. Imagine that day, ready for Christ's return. Imagine that day, what it's like. Christ has returned, we're all around the throne... Books have been opened and we get to be in. We're gathered together. And you know what happens? We start doing what we do at concerts. We go, where's my phone? I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to take some footage of this. And then I can show my friends. But except we look over and go, they're already here. There's you and 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 you. There's Mrs. Cornford. And there's you and you. And we, just, we just look around and we just look at one another. And we put our phones away. I oh, know we don't have phones. But we don't need to be recording it and sharing it with people who are not there because we're all there. Because that's the reward we were looking forward to. Let's look forward to seeing each other each Sunday and on that final day. For now, our business now is to pray. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that we are in the business of making disciples who make disciples for a reward that is one another. It is icing on the cake of Christ, that we get Christ and then we get one another. This is a beautiful and wonderful gift of grace. And so now we pray, we're asking, help us to keep dreaming, praying, planning, with purpose, this kind of disciple making that seeks to see one another and many others who are not here yet, there on the last day. We thank you for your grace that makes us all so powerfully possible. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.